Uh, well, my name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here. Good to be with you today. That's not my picture up on the screen, as you can tell. <laughs> that would be kind of funny. <laughs> that like popped up before I walked up. You're like, oh, that's different. Uh, I want to start off with a completely uncontroversial uh, statement to get us going this morning. How about that? Uh, I hate death. Now, all of us are alive. You understand that. So we understand that reality. We have not experienced death fully ourselves, but all of us have walked through the process of dying with somebody that we love. We've seen the pain. We've seen the loneliness. We've seen the heartbreak in it. We've, we've experienced that. And there's not much to like about that. There's just something, I think, inside of us that pushes and pulls as hard as it can against that entire process uh, that, that we just really don't like at all. The finality of it is brutal. I'm sure you would agree with me on that. And maybe this will get a little bit more controversial. We'll see. Uh, but I also kind of hate the easy, breezy pop culture view of heaven that's put out there. Just to be honest, does anybody agree with me on that? That the idea of sitting on a cloud for thousands and thousands of years, eating cream puffs and talking to random people is about the most boring thing I could possibly think of. There is nothing in that that excites me. It like, it's total opposite of exciting. It's painful to think about that thought. Uh, there's a uh, children's book that came out, and I'm not going to give you the author's name because I don't want to be mean, because uh, I'm not going to agree with this children's author, but they, they're doing a, a service. They're trying to help kids to understand what life after death looks like. And it's called What's Heaven? And this is what they say. Heaven is a beautiful place where you can sit on the clouds and talk to other people. At night, you can sit next to the stars, which are the brightest of anywhere in the universe. And if you're good throughout your life, kids, then you get to go to heaven. When your life on earth is finished, God sends down angels to take you up to be in heaven with him. Again, the idea of sitting talking to fat little baby angels for eternity does nothing, uh, for me at least. Uh, I don't want to be bored for thousands of years. Uh, I thought about talking, starting off this morning by talking about all the different views of death and the afterlife that there are out there in different religious perspectives, uh, different cultural expectations, uh, different ideas that people in America and our culture have about what happens after you die. And then I started reading about it and I realized we've heard it all, right? We all probably know all the other, all the options, all the opinions that there are about what happens after you die. You don't need me to regurgitate that for you. I think what we need is a deeper understanding of what the Bible actually tells us about what happens after we die. I think that's more important. So I just want to focus in on that this morning. You know, we sing songs that sometimes might not be the most theologically sound when it comes to heaven. Songs like, One, Some Bright Morning When This Life Is Over, I'll Fly Away, To That Home on God's Celestial Shore, I'll Fly Away, uh, or This World Is Not My Home, I'm Just a Passing Through, My Treasure's Laid Up Somewhere Beyond the Blue. 
The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And you do have to have a slight twang when you say it. Uh, these are well-intentioned songs. Uh, they're fun to sing. I personally really enjoy a good knee slap and banjo pick and I'll fly away. Uh, I think it's kind of fun. However, I don't think that it actually gives us a good understanding of a theological view of how all this works. I don't think it's biblical. The Bible teaches something dramatically different about heaven. We're told in the Bible about a new heaven and a new earth. And it's not like a foreign planet. You know, we're not going to like jump on a spaceship or watch our newly grown wings pop out of our backs and fly away while we watch God place an A-bomb on earth and destroy it to bits. What the Bible actually tells us is that he's making a new heaven and a new earth, but a better word would be he's renewing heaven and earth. He's making this earth new. This isn't God's plan A. It isn't his first draft that he's willing to just chuck in the trash. This is it. This is God's great plan forever. He wants this to work. Jesus tells us to br that he came to bring the kingdom of God, and a kingdom of God theological view doesn't say, I can't wait to leave this terrible earth and finally get to those streets of gold. It says, Come, Lord Jesus, and bring your kingdom right here and right now. N.T. Wright wrote a book uh, called Surprised by Hope, and if at the end of this morning you still want to hear more about this sort of a thought, I would encourage you to check it out. Maybe you'll be like, no, Stephen talked enough about it, I'm good. But if you want to read more, Surprised by Hope, I think is a great book on heaven and the kingdom of God, and he says it this way. If I say to a friend, I've kept some beer in the fridge for you, that doesn't mean that he has to climb into the fridge in order to drink the beer. Is this the first time you've heard of a theological book that talks about beer? Uh, <laughs> in the same way, God's future inheritance, the new world and new bodies that will inhabit that world, are already kept safe, waiting for us. Not so that we can go to heaven and put them on, but so that they can be brought to birth here in this world. This morning, we're continuing our series, like Lisa said, titled Overcoming. And I want to look at this claim that we believe, that Jesus has actually overcome death completely and totally today. Let me say this, if you haven't gotten this already, as followers of Jesus, as people of the kingdom of God, the way that we deal with, think about, and react to death and heaven has got to be fundamentally different than any other religious system, cultural expectation, or worldview. It has to be fundamentally different. It can't fit within any other box because we believe something that nobody else fully believes. And that's that Jesus has already defeated death that death does not have all the power, that it is not the end game, that it is not the beginning to something great, but that life has already overcome death and that Jesus is life. Romans 5.17 lays this out. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace 
and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. And Eugene Peterson echoes this beautifully when he wrote, a lot has happened between the events of Genesis and the arrival of Jesus. The creation that was brought into being by the life breath of God has been battered around a good bit. Death has become a major factor. Death, anti-creation, death, the denial of life, the elimination of life, the enemy of life. But death never prevailed. Always life. God breathed, survived, and at times even flourished. God creating a way out of this chaos and misery. God countering death. God breathing life into creation over and over again. Death has lost. We know the end game. And because of that, we have hope. So we're going to talk about that hope this morning. Will you pray with me? And then we're going to jump in. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come even more and to fill this place. I thank you that you're already here, that you're already moving but I pray that you'll come even more. God, we just ask for you to come and to reorient us. Help us to have a clear view of your kingdom, uh, of what you came to bring, of what you've done this morning. That we don't rely on uh, this mismatch of uh, um, culture and... and, uh, kind of bad theology, but that we can rely on, on your word, on your kingdom, on what it is that you came to bring. I pray that you'll change us this morning, Jesus. Let us experience heaven today, not just when we die. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this isn't about uh, believing that, you know, if we believe in Jesus, then we get to avoid death. Just so you, if you're getting a little worried about that, I'm not going to say that I found the Holy Grail and I'm going to pass around a cup later on for you to drink from. Uh, that's not where we're going. I know that that's not a thing. We can't avoid death right here, right now. It still is in place. But that doesn't mean that death has to be the end. Eternal life has still to come. But when does it begin? That's what I want to talk about. One author said that eternal life is less about a kind of time that starts when we die and more about a quality and vitality of life lived now in relationship to God. Eternal life doesn't start when we die, it starts now. But like LeVar Burton says in Reading Rainbow, you don't have to take my word for it, take a look, it's in a book. First uh, John 5, 11 through 13. This is what God has testified. He's given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John was written by a guy named John, as you probably figured by the title of the book. But it was Apostle John, one of the early followers of Jesus, and he wrote it to a church. 
He doesn't tell us what church, but he wrote this letter. He didn't name it after himself. We did that later on. But he wrote this letter to encourage them to pour into them and to give them a more solid base of understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to bring, to give them assurance. He repeats that over and over and over again in his letters. And in these verses, the assurance that he wants to bring us is this concept of eternal life. He says it over and over again in these verses. And although we've kind of lost what eternal life fully means, it's been lost in translation a little bit as we've translated it time and time again. But this is what eternal life meant, according to John, when he was writing this. Life real and genuine, a quality of existence that death cannot destroy. A quality of existence that death cannot destroy. Death and life aren't complete polar opposites. They're not on opposite ends of the spectrum. It's not like yin versus yang. What John's telling us here is that the life that Jesus came to bring is so different that it only it like pales in comparison. It sits in the shadow of life. The real life that Jesus came to bring death can't even stop. It, hold, it doesn't hold anything next to it. It has no power next to it. With that in mind, let me give you the Stephen extended version of these verses that we just read. 1 John 5, 11 through 13, he has given us eternal life, a quality of existence that death cannot destroy. And this life which death cannot destroy is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life, which death cannot destroy. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life, real and genuine life, an existence that death cannot destroy. Did I repeat it enough for you? Do you get it? This is undestroyable. It's it's, it's unsinkable. It, it cannot be touched by death. Eternal life, the life given to us through Jesus, which is the life of Jesus, it's actually the life that Jesus blew into Adam and Eve, blew into all of the world at creation. That very life is eternal life, which you and I have access to. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have that in you right now. Right now. Not when you die, but right now. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's the really good news. You can be right now as well. It's open to all of humanity. We begin living eternally the moment that we decide to follow Jesus, not when we die. In our culture, even in our theology sometimes, when we sing we want to fly away, we're saying that death is the beginning of eternal life. Let me tell you something. The Bible tells us that death is not the instigator of life. Death has no say over when life begins. Jesus does. That's it. He's the one who creates it. Death is not the gateway we think sometimes that we have to die in order to experience eternal life, but the Bible tells us that Jesus is a gateway and that he is available to us here right now. 
death is the enemy of Jesus, not the tool that Jesus uses to get us to where he wants us to be. It's not the beginning of God's plan. Like I said, we have to realize that as followers of Jesus, that we have to have a fundamentally different view of death and eternity than anybody else because we believe something that is dramatically different than everybody else believes. We believe that something's already come into our world. We're not waiting for it later. Something is different, and that should be really, really good news to all of us. Death doesn't win because eternity is already here. You know, a couple of months ago, I was out walking our dog with our youngest daughter. And uh, because, you know, when you're walking the dog, you want to talk about death. She asked me what happens when we die. I'm like, great. So I stumble and bumble and, and fall my way all over it. And then I finally get to like, I was like, processing, whatever, trying to come up with five-year-old words for this. And I finally said, well, when, when we die, we get to be with Jesus forever. She looked up at me bright-eyed. She was like, really? Can I die now? <laughs> and then, like, I mean, we were walking on the side of the road. It was almost, she was kind of like, do I jump in front of the car right now? I'm like, no, we're not doing that. You know, like, <laughs> pull it in, pull it in, pull it in. And so I tried to explain to her again in five-year-old terms, like, no, we get, to, we get to have Jesus right now. You don't have to die in order to do it. Please don't jump off the road right now. Uh, don't jump into that, you know. <laughs> I tried to explain to her this reality that Jesus is here now, that eternal life begins now. John Stott wrote that this gift of life in Christ is a present possession. It means literally belonging to the age to come. But since the age to come is broken into this present age, the life of the age to come, eternal life, can be received and enjoyed here and now. This is not about gradually growing in assurance, but possessing here and now a present certainty of the life that you have received in Christ. It's now. So let's break this down a little bit more. In the vineyard uh, movement, denomination, whatever you want to call it, that we're a part of, one of our like central themes, one of the main tenets of our theology, of our belief system that we talk about all the time is this idea of the kingdom of God. And the reason that we're so focused on that is because Jesus actually talked about it all the time. Uh, it's, it's all throughout the Gospels. Jesus talks about it. Uh, Luke 8, 1 says, Jesus went on through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke 4, 43, but Jesus said to them, I must preach this good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And I could give you lots of other verses from the gospels that echo this reality that Jesus' message, his mission, his vision for the world was one that was centered on nothing less than the kingdom of God. And it was something that he came to bring. Throughout his teaching, he talked about it. He tells stories about it. He said that the kingdom of God was coming and that it had come. He told us as his followers that our job is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and that it had broken into our world. The kingdom of God broke into our world through nothing less than the life of Jesus, 
The death of Jesus broke the kingdom in with a thunderous roar that reverberated all throughout the earth. The resurrection of Jesus slammed the kingdom of God down into the earth with power and said, I'm not going anywhere. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection brings this message of the kingdom in a powerful and real way because he is the kingdom of God in humanity. But we're all well aware that something is still not quite there yet, right? Because we die. We sin. We encounter forces that seem to be coming against us, whatever title that you want to give to that. Satan, the enemy, etc. There's all kinds of things that seem off in our world that we have to deal with that give us the the reality that the victory has been won, but it's not quite finished yet. And this is the now, but the not yet of the kingdom of God, that we're still living in a time where Jesus is broken through, where things have begun to change. We're living in the story, but we know that it's not quite finished. We're still waiting for Jesus to return for all to be made right once and for all. Some people compare it to D-Day versus uh, Victory in Europe or Victory in Japan Day, uh, whichever one you hold to be the final end of World War II. I know, we could get into great history debates right now. Uh, But D-Day happened on June 6, 1944, when the Allied forces stormed that beach in Normandy, France. And looking back on it, we can now see that that was the turning point in the entire war, that something happened at that point that was irreversible, that the Allied forces were going to win, even if they hadn't won yet, because there was still 14 months to go in the war. 14 months until victory in Europe, victory in Asia fully came to be a reality. For us, the reality is that we're living in an age where the kingdom of God has come, where D-Day has already happened through Jesus, but there's still time left. We're still in the middle of a war that is being fought, and we're the ones that are fighting it. It's going on all around us. The tides have turned, death has lost its sting, but Jesus has not returned, and so the war is still going on. So where does all this connect? Now, here's the fun part. Heaven and the kingdom of God are used interchangeably by Jesus. When we say the kingdom of God is broken into our world, we could also just as easily be saying that heaven has broken into our world because Jesus says that. He uses those two terms interchangeably. One equals the other. We experience heaven today because quite literally heaven has already broken in. Eternity has already come, not just when we die, because death has lost its power. And I think for me, the beautiful and the immensely practical, exciting part about this is that that means that heaven's not going to be just cream puffs in the clouds. Yay, no boring thousands and thousands of years. There's something more because we're already experiencing heaven. We know a little bit of what it looks like. And side note, just so that we're all on the same page, you know that that cultural view of heaven is not in the Bible anywhere, right? 
In case you're just sitting there saying, Stephen, it is actually in there. It's actually not. It's actually in a Michelangelo painting. Um, it's an impressionist idea that we've somehow stamped onto our theology and made into our viewpoint. It's not actually what it says in the Bible. So what does life after death look like? I have no idea. <laughs> we really don't know. Uh, I wish I could give you a better answer, but that, yeah, that... That would be getting dangerous. Uh, the Bible only tells us a partial picture of this. We don't have a full view. It's like looking out of a very, very dirty window. We see bits and pieces, but we don't see it clearly enough to actually be able to call it for what it is. We just don't know. But we do know that Jesus is returning, and when he does, everything is going to be made new. Heaven, earth, and our bodies. He tells us that he's going to resurrect everything. Resurrection is the very act of making dead things new. And specifically, we do know that the resurrection of bodies, that's already come to our world, not because of me, but because of Jesus. Um, I'm not resurrected, but we know what it looked like when Jesus was living after he had died, right? We read about his encounters in the gospel after he came back. He's, uh, Mary Magdalene's in the garden. She's weeping. She's crying because the body's gone. She doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know where they took Jesus. She's just beside herself. And then this dude walks up to her and starts to have a conversation with her. And she looks up and she's like, why is the gardener talking to me? That's literally what she's like. What are you doing? I'm sad. Get out of my space. And then as she talks to him, she realizes wait, this is actually Jesus. There was something different about him. He was obviously a human, but there was something different about his body that made him hard to, hard to recognize right off track. We see it with the disciples. He appears in, in random rooms that they're meeting in. He, he has lunch with them on the beach, which sounds great, right? He, he sees them when they're going fishing and they recognize him. But they also recognize that there's something really different about him. They can touch him. They feel his scars um, from where the nails went in. They see him eat food. So he's not a ghost, but there's something really different about him than he was before. Each time he proved that he was fully human, but human took on a whole new meaning after he had been resurrected. And that's what the Bible tells us. Romans 8.11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. And 1 John 3.2, dear friends, we are already God's children, but God has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. We don't fully know what all this means. It's a mystery. But we know that it'll be like Jesus is. And that should be a good thing. He's coming back. He's going to renew earth. He's going to renew heaven. He's going to renew the bodies of those that have followed him. And we'll actually have work to do. We won't be bored the whole time. God's original plan is still his plan. That's the good news in this. 
You know, when he created the garden and he gave Adam and Eve jobs, jobs that honestly I would be terrible at. So hopefully there's other options because like gardening is not my thing. Uh, Taking care of livestock, again, not my thing. But hopefully there's other jobs uh, and I think there will be. But he gave them jobs. He gave them things to do, purpose, reason for being. And that's going to be the same in heaven. It's not like we're going to be like hooked into this Jesus IV that lets us just like all lay out and be like, you know, whatever, lazy. Uh, there's going to be jobs for us to do. We're going to build and pour into the earth that Jesus is going to renew. The person that you're made into matters. The skills that you have matter. The, the experiences that have developed you, all of this matters because you're still going to have a job to do even after he returns. All of this is for a purpose that he's still working out. N.T. Wright again, he says that the resurrection means that what you do in the present and working hard for the gospel is not wasted. It will be completed, will have its fulfillment in God's kingdom. Which is essentially what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. We're not just going through trial runs. We're building towards something that Jesus is going to do. What we do now, because heaven's already here, will impact heaven when it's already here. It's all for a purpose. As we come to an end this morning, John Donne wrote in one of his most famous poems, Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful. For thou art so, one short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Death is an enemy, it's dreadful, it's mighty. But, like John Donne just says, we know the end. It's lost. It holds no more power because Jesus has the victory. Death has already been overcome. And so, friends, here's the invitation, I think, from Jesus to us here today. Stop allowing death to be the instigator in your life. Start living as if the kingdom of God has already fully come. Start living as if heaven is already here, because it is. It's not something that's going to come with death. It's something that God has already brought about here. Death doesn't control your life. Life has already won. So the worship team comes back up. Revelation 21, the end of the story tells us this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. I hate death, but I know that it's not the ultimate power. And I want more of the ultimate power 
in me here today. I want more of Jesus. You know, one of my most frequently prayed prayers for our church over the past couple of months is that Jesus would allow us to be a people who are changed by deep experiences of him. Essentially, that we would be changed by heaven interacting with earth. Do you want that today? Let's stand. Here's what I want to do before we switch to a time of worship. I want to pray for us, and I want to specifically pray for anyone that's here that doesn't know Jesus. If you're here and you're saying, all of this sounds great, but I know that I don't have that life in me, I want to give you an opportunity to begin to experience that today. So let's pray. And again, if you've never prayed this, just pray along with me and say, Jesus, I want to experience your life. I want you to breathe your creation life into me today. I don't fully know what all this looks like, what it means, but I do want that. I want heaven to come. And I say that I choose today to follow you, to set my life on a path that you are leading. And then for all of us, whether it's for the first or the thousandth time, we just say we love you, Jesus, and we want more of you. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.